0: Hello, I'm Sarah Connolly and today I'm talking to Adam Myerson. Adam, if you know anything about cyclocross, he's an ex-professional cyclocross rider, he's a coach, he organised races, he still, ra- he still races himself, he's a new dad... And So if you hear his baby, that's baby Flynn in the background, and I'm interested in talking to Adam because he's a cyclocross commentator, kind of an analyst, and I'd say personality, and the aim of this podcast is to talk about the 2015-16 season. Hello, Adam. Hi there. (laughs) How are you?
1: I'm good. I'm doing well. Um, Just uh, managing a morning of uh, of coaching work and uh, some childcare, some feeding and diaper changing, and... Burping and everything else that goes along with that.
0: <laughs> yeah, kind of. And that's just the riders you coach, right?
1: Yeah. right. So, so I just let Flynn answer the emails now. I just <laughs> put him to work.
0: Oh, perfect. You can have, you know, who needs to send them up chimneys when you've got a coaching business? <laughs> so it's been a really interesting 2015-16 season. And obviously, I focus on the women's stuff. But from your side of the Atlantic, how do you feel it's gone?
1: Oh, I think it's been a really exciting season. Um, I think on the men's side, you know, at the end of last season with the emergence of the two young riders, some of the races were a little bit boring. Mm. You know, the women's races were definitely more interesting than the men's races um, because we had um, battles all the way to the finish, you know, and we had new riders emerging, um, but the races were competitive. And I think it looked like the men's races were going to be real, yeah, just boring because of the dominance of, of two riders. Mm. And so, you know, this year we had multiple winners and we had injuries. And I mean, I think Worlds is a great example for the men. Um, an example of sort of why we have races, you know, uh, you know, you're sticking your foot through somebody else's wheel and one guy comes back and the other one doesn't. And the guy that you think is the strongest doesn't necessarily win. Like that's racing. That's, that's why we have races. So that, that was really good. And it was just good to see some different winners. Um, I think the women's side was interesting and exciting because of who was missing.
0: Yeah. 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 Um,
1: and, you know, while that was a disappointment, I think we all want to see Ferran Provo in her Jersey, um, you know, racing as full a season as she could. Um, you know, it really opened it up. Um, I think for, we, we had a bunch of new winners and we had a bunch of new women at the front. Um, and I think for me, it was interesting to see like, would would Katie be able to take advantage of that situation? You know, this is probably her best chance for a world championship. yeah, um, yeah So yeah. I, I think we were all disappointed for her and wanted to see. You know, here's a, this is a big chance with them out. So, yeah.
0: do you think that was more pressure on them? Because obviously, no Fran Prevo, no Mariana Voss, and people have been saying. I mean, I've all the media leading up to it. Haha! This is Katie's one chance to win without Mariana Voss.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, you know, it's, I would never.
1: I wouldn't insult Katie by saying. You know, <clears throat> she's capable of of beating Voss, but it certainly increased her chances. Um, if if Katie is at her best, um, there's two people that she is normally fighting with that she doesn't have to, and even Katarina Nash. You know, she she opted not to race because of the Olympics coming up. Um, so having Katarina not in there as well is a factor, <clears throat> I think in the end it was more pressure on Kant than anyone else. It was it turned out to be her race to lose, um, and You know, Katie was kind of not in it from the start um, because of that first crash. And then, you know, it just sounds like she never quite found her legs when she got to Europe, unfortunately. Um, So I think really the pressure was on Kent, and it was her race to lose. And she did.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting because I think at the start of the season when Kent was super dominant, she was super dominant because she's an amazing bike rider and she's getting better and better every year. You know, she's still young yet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But you know, with Talita de Jong being injured at the start of the season with Sophie De Boer being sick, no, no Voss, no, no Fran Prevost, you know, as you say, Nash not being there. It, I think it may have, I know it gave me a kind of false impression about how, I think looking back on it, how dominant Camp was capable of being, and it made for a much more exciting season, to be honest, too, when other people started winning more and more. Yeah,
1: yeah. Like uh, Sophie DeBoer's win was, you know, it was just great. It was like, oh, hey, it's not, it's not going to be Camped every weekend. There's other winners. Yeah. Um, and Diang obviously, like, I was just. Not only did she look amazing at Worlds, she looked amazing the next weekend. It was really the first time we got a good look at her. Mm. Um, she she just looks so powerful and she looks so good on her bike. She actually reminds me of Voss in a lot of ways, the way she sits on her bike,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, how sort of aggressive and always on the gas she is. And her technique is actually good. Um, yeah. You know, like I think people, were, people want to call her a part-time crosser, but there were sections the next weekend, like sand sections that other people were running, that she was the only one riding.
2: Yeah, um, yeah, yeah.
1: So sometimes... Good fitness leads to good technique. You know, if you're the strongest rider in a race and you get to a technical section and you're not as gassed as everybody else, you you have a better chance of riding that section successfully because you've got some energy available. Um, and that's what that's what De Young sort of looked like to me in the weekend after Worlds as well.
0: Yeah. She reminds me of Voss because of how much she enjoys it as well. You know, there's that mm-hmm. like kind of palpable, aggressive happiness that that's kind of very Mariana in my book.
1: Yeah, interesting. Um, so you have that uh, sort of close up access that, you know, I'm just watching the races on TV and um, sometimes listening to the interviews in Dutch. So um, that's interesting to know. I mean, that, that picture of her like marshaling at a race, um, you know, imposing with with Voss is a good example of that, I suppose.
0: Yeah, yeah. She was seventeen years old, and her sister Demi's fifteen. And if you haven't yeah. seen, if people haven't seen it, they're volunteering a Um And then, you know, five years later, she's world champion. That that was just, and it was so, it was such a Mariana Voss thing to do to be tweeting it before the, ra- you know, to be tweeting it before the race as well. I thought that was just an awesome all round Y Cross is fabulous. Yeah, moment. yeah,
1: it is. Yeah, it is definitely a family. At least in the U.S. anyway, it is. I know sometimes it's not that way in Belgium, but um, I think everywhere else... It it still has a family atmosphere like that.
0: Yeah, I want to come on to that actually later on and to talk a little bit more about the 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 USA versions. But I was wanting to come back to something you said about De Young because we were talking about it during the race on on Saturday, uh, Saturday, the last Bay Post Bank Trophy. and we were we were joking backwards and forwards that people were saying Ah, oh, De Jong is a road rider, but she had much better technical skills than, for example, Yolene Vashuren, who's you know, a very, very good cross rider at the climbing races, but not so skillful <laughs> at the off timber sessions. Yeah, let's
1: call her a specialist. Yeah, <laughs> she's a specialist. <laughs> We're going to be nice, right? <laughs> exactly,
0: exactly. I mean, yeah, exactly. It's not to diss a rider because within cyclocross, you know, some people are the mountain bikey specialists, some people are the sand specialists. You can't be good at everything unless you are, Mariana. Yes.
2: Yeah.
1: yeah, right. But I, I. Yeah, go ahead.
0: So, but, but, but it was interesting when, when De Jong won Worlds, there was a certain, uh, well, from some people I know, there was a certain level of, oh, she's just a road rider. But i like, no!
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can't win Worlds as just a road rider. I mean, it's like, you know, Stibar did a, uh, an abbreviated season and, and came back with so much power mm-hmm. and, and such fresh legs. And, um, you know, it was the first time, you know, when he beat Nice, it was the first time Nice had been under pressure all year. And, and I think it was the first mistake we saw Nice make all year that he couldn't, recover from. And that sort of goes back to that, um, you know, you make fewer mistakes. Mm. Um, Someone puts you under pressure, um, you know, you, you race in a very different way. So um, yeah, for, to to say DeYoung is just a road rider. um, I don't know. I mean, yeah, you still have to drive your way around the course. Right. Uh, I think, I think really just what you saw was sometimes having an abbreviated season, either intentionally or because of injury uh, allows you to peak much better that's always the problem that Kant has she does mm-hmm. it's not a criticism of the other writers though sometimes she, you know in her in her interviews where she's been unhappy and sort of expressed herself that way and she you know she's critical of, of quote-unquote the part-timers I mean it's not there's no real reason to be critical you can you can observe it and acknowledge it and say yeah that's part of why they're so good at worlds um, mm it's a long season and racing a partial season means you might have a, a better peak for your target races, um, to Kant's credit. She's like, nice, you know, she's, mm. she's good weekend in, weekend up. Uh, nice had the same problem. You know, how many, how many races did nice win compared to how many world championships he won? Um, yeah. you know, with their, There were other racers who maybe didn't win as often as nice, but but maybe won more world championships because they they peaked for them.
0: Yeah, it must be a very hard thing to decide to do, because if you love the sport and you're a competitive person, you want to win every weekend, don't you? But at the same time, to actually say, yeah, look, I'm going to be going hard. Not not that you're not going to be trying, but you're not going to be at peak fitness for this month. That must be a hard thing as an athlete to deal with.
1: Absolutely. And I think it requires either controlling your ego or, or it you know, can be a reflection of your personality. Um, you know, I think if you, like I talked about this with Katie Compton, um, earlier the season in an interview as well, where, you know, she was off the bike all summer, um, and trying to get healthy. And so she started the season without the base that she normally has. And mm. I'm sure that was really difficult for her because she is always dominant in the U S and here, she still chose to show up and that was great. We, we, we'd miss her if she wasn't in the races. Um, but I'm sure it was tough for her to be in these races and not be at 100%. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas other riders can stay, and, and I don't know how she felt about that, but then other riders who do that intentionally, let's say, yeah, you have to be able to say to yourself, I'm, I'm not gonna be at my best here and um, I'm gonna ride around in 10th place um, knowing that I wanna be at my best later. Cross is tough. Um, it's a lot of you know. You race twice a weekend. There's not a lot of training that you can do in between races. Mm. Uh, you spend half of the week recovering from the two races the weekend before. You're lucky if you can train on Wednesday. Maybe generally, if you want to increase your fitness, it requires you know taking a weekend of racing off to fully recover and then actually train through. Mm. Um, you know the only other real way. This is why people think like doping's not a big deal in cross. Like uh, <laughs> you know, it's the only way you get through a season at the top. Like that yeah. is, you know, we well, need that, help.
0: Well, that's what I was going to say, because, I mean, some people are dissing Kant for, you know, oh, well, she was so good all season, but she wasn't at her best at Worlds. But to be honest, if a rider was excellent all throughout the season and stormed Worlds, I'd be sitting there going, oh, EPO. You know what I mean?
1: It- yeah, I, I think Kant was at the same level at Worlds. She rode an amazing world. She was, she was very good at Worlds. Um, someone just showed up at their absolute best. Um, can't, my king exactly. But she was on the level. It's not like she rode poorly. I think Deon rode incredibly. She rode a level above, um, and that I, again, I just think that's from doing um, a partial season and having fresh legs and being able to peak specifically for the event and getting a course that suited her. Um, you know, that allowed her to really pedal hard and have that be what made the difference. And, and and there was space to move through groups all day long, you know, where she wasn't stuck in traffic. She just was always moving forward.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I was wondering how much the emotional state, because she came in as a as no pressure on her. Do you know what I mean? She's still a young yeah, rider. Yeah. She's still an I mean Mariana Voss told me before the race started because I did a QA with her and she said, um, off the record, Talita's going to win.
1: Interesting. And
0: yeah. I was like and apparently she said that in the sports, pre-race interview as well. You know, she was like, you know, off the, but, but I don't think there was that. And I'd said, my head said Santa Can and my heart said Talita, you know, off the back of her coming forth and her amazing fitness the week before. I mean, it's easy to say that, isn't it? I, I predicted who'd win. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: right. But
1: you, but you spotted a trend and you know, the, and there it was. Yeah. A rider on the way up.
0: Yeah. But I wonder, I mean, do you think, as a, as, a, as a former pro-cyclic press rider, how much do you think the mental pressure would have affected someone like Cairns and Compton?
1: Well, I'd, I'd say with Cant, she obviously struggles with the pressure, and you know, she's younger, and mm. she lives in Belgium, and it's a it's a very different set of circumstances for her. Um, I think she's still learning how to do that, if you know what I mean, mm. and, and it's it's still new for her, and that's why it's unfair and strange that people want to criticize her for, for, you know, expressing herself or being emotional about her racing. Like, isn't that what we want? Don't we like that? That's just, yeah, that's what we want to watch. I, I like emotional riders. And for me, that's not about sex or gender. That's the kind of, I, I, I want my riders to care about their bike racing. Um, I think with, with Katie, um, you know, she's been at this for much longer She's not in that Belgian um, crucible um, the way uh, the way Kant is, so I think it's a little bit different for her. I think her sponsors are behind her, the fans are behind her. It's not like it's not that it doesn't matter how she does, um, but I think Katie's pressure is probably she's she's sufficiently self motivated that I think she probably manages the external pressure a little bit better than a younger rider mm-hmm. who's who's Kant's talent and is belgian i can't even imagine what that's like
0: yeah i i, I thought i mean coming back to the people criticising her for being passionate, it killed me last year and it killed me this year to pe- see people go, why can't she just smile on the podium? You know, she should be happy she came third. And it's like, hell no. I love a rider. You know, Mariana Voss last year, who was, you know, like tr- holding back her own disappointment and, you know, visibly wanted to win. And I love it. I love Kant for being, I love Kant for, you know, not slapping on a fake smile, you know, and, and just want, all she wants is the win. I love it.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, and I don't... She expresses herself is... I, I think last year the problem was they put the mic in front of her face a little early. Yeah. And and I'm sure she wanted to backtrack on the way she said some of the things that she said or, or what she really... You know, it's... And, and if that's all you know of a writer or the quotes that you get from them in the media hmm. and then you add that to the images, it's very easy to draw a conclusion. But... How many of us actually know Sana Khan? Like, I don't, I don't have conversations with her. I don't know actually who she is as a person and how she is as a person. And so I think you have to remember that. Um, you, you can't just jump to conclusions and get on the internet and decide that you know something about someone mm. because of a, a quote, a post-race quote at an interview that their whole life revolved around. So she, like you said already, she she's still young. She's a year older this year. Yes, it meant just as much, and I think she thought, you know, sh- she couldn't imagine not winning. I mm. guess you could say this year, yeah. um, and to be and to be beaten by someone who hadn't beaten her yet this season, I'm sure was very hard to take. But I didn't hear her being critical of anybody else in her comments this year. I just saw her dealing with the letdown that comes with focusing your entire life on a goal and then not achieving it.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and I'm always impressed with pro athletes because you finish that race I mean I can't imagine it you must be exhausted you've had the adrenaline of the finish and you're just you know you're going from that zone of being completely full-on physically to having it all hit you afterwards and then someone sticks a mic in your face
1: yeah yeah it's funny and it depends on the race too you know like after a cross race um you're you're exhausted in a different way like you've you've gone real deep but you you still usually have enough blood sugar to like put sentences together it's just (laughs) when you get, you get interviewed after, like, a six-hour road race, like, you really can't, you can't even think straight. Like, you've got no sugar left to think with. And I think those are the, those are the, those are sometimes, like, the not very interesting interviews because you can't even, like, make sense of what you're trying to say. But, um, <laughs> yeah, you know, I, it just, again, it depends on the rider um, and, and what their personality is like and how much of that gets magnified in a post-race interview um, or not. I think the... Um, like Vanderpool's interviews are always great. He always has something kind of funny. He seems so well adjusted for a kid. Um, he seems to really take it all in stride. And he, you know, he's, he's got like the big picture in mind he's already had success and he knows he's going to have more. Mm. Um, and I think Van Ert is also very he's sort of calm and quiet in his poster interviews, even though, you know, you think back to like the false start incident with him where like, They threw him out of the race for the false start, and then he jumped back on the course and tried to ride around anyway. Like (laughs) that's something you only do when you're a when you're a kid. He he doesn't seem like that kind of person anymore. But you see, like you know, he was he was 19 once too.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I went to a race. Um, I went to Overeizer, and um, it was when Vanderpoel he slipped his chain. He was in the lead, and he slipped his chain. In front of us like like literally just in front of us and he got overtaken and just watching his cool calm you know like like just he's just old beyond his years that kid isn't he he's just he just got he just got it back on again hit the bike back again like didn't faze him went back overtook everyone run the the race
1: (laughs) it's got to come from you know the family that he comes from and the lessons that he's learned from his dad he says he does seem to have he wants to win, but he has this long view. And I think you saw that even in his first year as, a, as an elite. Um, you know, his dad's obviously making the decisions, but they kept him out a lot of races. You know, yeah. he didn't race as much as um, as other riders did. And I think that shows you that there's someone telling him like, hey, you're going to be, you have a long career ahead of you. You're going to be world champion at some point. You're going to win all these races. It doesn't have to happen this year. Let's just keep moving at this steady progression and so that yeah that shows uh someone who knows how good he is and how good his career is going to be and that it doesn't all have to happen at once and this year was a good example of that you know he missed half the season due to injury Mm. and then just showed up and stepped right back in it took him one race to get back into the swing of things
0: yeah yeah It it must be very hard. I mean, that must be hard as an athlete as well. I mean, I think about it in terms of teenage singers. Do you know what I mean? When you see like some 16 year old girl going on the X Factor and you just want to go, no, you've got, you know, if you're good, you've got your whole life to do it. Don't, don't do this to yourself right now. And I can imagine that must feel a bit like that with bike riders too. I, I guess the women, because you don't make so much money, you know, a lot of them will go to, you know, will go to uni, will do other things alongside it before making that jump. But how tempting to just try and go all out.
1: Yeah, I think it just doesn't happen to very many riders because you just don't, you don't usually get those opportunities. And if you are that kind of talent, you've kind of been identified already by somebody. Yeah. <clears throat> I think in the case of, of Vanderpoel, obviously he's come up in a cycling family. It's their culture. It's It's been his entire life. He's probably not known anything different. Um, and that can also backfire too, right? Like
0: Yeah, like the uh, Schnecks on the road, for example. They weren't really into it, were they? It never seemed like they were into their road career, but they're the third generation of bike riders.
2: Yeah,
1: and you could be doing it for the wrong reasons. Um, you know, I think a, a good example is like Mark and Frank McCormick here in, in New England. Uh, they're both US champions, road and cross, and enters to me, they're a few years older than me, and I came up through the same club as as they did. You know, and they started having kids, <clears throat> Everybody assumed their kids were going to race bikes and and be champions. And Mark and Frank almost kept their kids out of bike racing. I think because they knew what bike racing was like. Mm -hmm. And they definitely took the, like, if you want to race, we'll support it. If you don't want to race, it's cool if you do other things. But you got to do something. And Mm -hmm. so they played ice hockey. They raced motocross. um, And they kind of dabbled in bike racing until they finally – I think two of them have sort of decided to be more serious about it, but they certainly weren't, you know, like junior national team going to the world championships, like, you know, winning national championships from, you know, as soon as they were nine years old kind of thing that you see some of the kids are doing now, which is okay, but there was no pressure on these kids to do it. And and ultimately they kind of chose other things.
0: Mm -mm. Yeah. I mean, I always wonder about Thibaut um, Thibaut Nace in terms of, you know, the pressure on him to be a great bike racer racer must be enormous, but equally I can imagine that if he's not very good, it it will be crushing.
1: Yeah, I know. Right. But what's funny though, is if you, you know, I've peeked at his social media and his own, like the, the the sort of the vibe that he puts out there and he clearly wants to be a bike racer Mm -hmm. and, and wants to be just like his dad. Um, and You know, I don't know enough about what that's like in his real life, but he, you know, he came up in it and it looks like he, he wants to follow in his dad's footsteps and it's cute. It actually kind of looks cute to me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, of course we can't talk about this season without talking about Femke Vandendrische and she's, uh, she's possibly an example of how, where these, well, from my reading of the situation, which is, you know, obviously caveats all around it, um, if people don't know, she was caught with a mechanical bike at worlds at the under 20, the first ever under 23 worlds. And the stories seem to be that there's a lot of family pressure on her to do well. Her brother's got an EPO ban. There is various stories about her parent, her dad being quite pushy. And I guess that's one of the things that when I looked at the story of the I was seeing a girl who, you know, is this even what she wants? Do you know what I mean? How much control would she have had?
2: Yeah.
1: Well, and so again, like I always try to remind myself, I don't know this person, um, mm-hmm. and none of us do. Uh, and so it's important to leave space in your analysis for, you know, the real person who yes. exists there. But but from what we do know, yeah, my first reaction was, this is a 19 year old young woman. Um, someone put a motor in her bike. Uh, I think, it, 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 for me, it's male or female at that age. Sure. There's plenty of 19 year olds capable of, of, you know, cheating or I was pretty in charge of my own life at the age of 19. I don't, it's not that she's a kid exactly, Mm. but this is, this is the, that's the kind of cheating that requires help. Someone has to, how do you learn how that works? Who do you get that from? Who installs it? And especially if you, if you know how Belgian cycling works, you know Mm. that she's never worked on her own bike in her life. That's what her dad does. That's, same for the men. Um, you grow up in that Belgian cyclocross culture. It means your dad is your mechanic and your uncle is your pit guy. And, mm-hmm. um, your mom gets your bottles for you. Like that's the team quote unquote team staff for a cyclocross rider is the whole family. And I think the rest of the world probably doesn't realize that that's exactly how it is mm-hmm. in Belgium, that, mm-hmm. that it's so such a family oriented sport. So, you know, you meet, you meet pro bike racers who literally don't know how to work on their bikes, which is amazing to us as Americans because we kind of are do-it-yourselfers. I mean, it happens here too, but, um, you know, we just spend a lot of time driving around in ca- our own cars, going to bike races, and working on our own stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's no way she could have done that herself. And that was my first reaction. Who Who's responsible for this?
0: Yeah, yeah. Not her. Yeah. Well, I can't, I can never pronounce their names right either, but the two young lads, the Stepaniak brothers, the Polish young guys who one of them was a junior world champion and and the two teenage brothers were found with EPO. And it's like, I don't know how you get EPO as a teenager, you know, and a dose that doesn't kill you. Do you know what I mean? Like, like a dose that's good enough to get you winning, but not good enough to put you to turn your, to turn your blood to porridge and put you in the hospital. Do you know what I mean? I, I'm the same as you. I kind of feel like when it's a teenager, I think we have to be a bit careful about vilifying the the person who's the actor and not vilifying, you know, not looking at who's behind this. How did this happen?
2: Yeah.
1: Well, I would almost compare it in some ways to recreational drugs. So there's plenty of 19-year-olds doing heroin who know how much to take without killing themselves. Mm. At the same time, there's lots of 19-year-old kids dying from heroin overdoses. So, you know, a 19-year-old is capable of quite a lot, um, figuring out quite a lot. Um, you're a, you know, you're a freshman in college at that point. And mm. You think about the trouble that you got into good and bad, you know, as a, as a freshman in college. And so it's good to think back on that. And I think you, for me to keep in perspective, I think like, well, what was I doing when I was that age? It's like, well, I was already out of the house and putting myself through school. And, you know, I had already like spent a bunch of time on the road racing bikes. We were 16 years old when we all piled into the van and started driving ourselves to races. So it's, it's, It is possible to figure all that stuff out. It's just as adults, when we look back on it, it seems so crazy to think that they they would get there without some kind of parental assistance. Yeah. I, so I, I ultimately, I agree with you.
0: Yeah. I mean it's been strange to see i mean i you know i have a, not a conspiracy theory because i don't believe it's quite i don't really believe in it but i also think it's bloody lucky for you know the pros they could that, that you know they apparently that it found, found bike was found through a tip-off apparently I mean, everything in the story has apparently and allegedly and caveats yeah, yeah. it. but you know apparently her bike was found through a tip-off but it gets the uci to say look we've got this fantastic technology and then if any of the elite men or the under 23 men had had mechanical bikes. They can just like run, run, get that bike <laughs> nowhere near Sunday. Yeah.
1: I'm with you on that. I, right, I don't want to assume the worst. I think it's always, in order to cope with the world, I think it's always best to assume that everybody has good intentions until yeah. you have evidence otherwise. Cock up um, over
0: conspiracy is my, that's how I think yeah. it works.
1: Yeah. But on the other hand, it really would have been better if that news had not come out um, until after Sunday's race. And I, I have a hard time not thinking that they didn't want to catch anybody on Sunday. They were quite happy to have caught someone Saturday and Leaf for them that they caught someone on Saturday because it meant that they were definitely not going to catch anyone on Sunday
0: yeah 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 and and you know and it's like the least you know when we look at the hierarchy of who has the power who has the money an under 23 girl (laughs) you know a 19 year old (laughs) under 23 girl is like the lowest on the totem pole of cyclocross isn't it yeah
1: and like you know I don't think that part is intentional it's sort of a convenient thing because even though she's She's just a, a first year, 19 year old, under 23. She was Belgian champion and European yeah, champion. Yeah. Like if, if they were really looking for a patsy, um, <laughs> they, they they could have found someone less consequential, more inconsequential than she is. She actually is has a future or had a future and and had had a lot of success. So yeah, it's she's not the biggest fish, but she's not a she's not a small fish either. Honestly.
0: No, no. She was one of my. She was one of my riders to watch. You know what I mean. She was definitely on my. About yeah. a list of seven or eight. Um. And oh, huge shout out to Helen Wyman, by the way, who, in her list, got the top three. <laughs> as the you know, at one point, as going, yeah, Nicola Kovac, um, uh, Ev- Evie, Evie Richards, Evie Richards, and uh, and uh, Maude Capafilets. Yeah, that was Helen's. <laughs> that was list. Yeah, that's list. pretty good
1: because none of us would have known about Richards if we're only watching the, the biggest races. And, you know, we had an athlete in that race, Ellen Noble. And mm. so, you know, we were trying to have a sense of, was Ellen capable of getting on the podium? And, and in the, in our coach meetings, every Wednesday, every Thursday, we have a meeting of all the cycle smart coaches. And Al Donahue is one of my coaches and he coaches Ellen. Um, you know, we had a conversation about her performance and, and how it matched expectations. And yeah, we were happy with Ellen's ride, and essentially she performed relative to the other riders that we were aware of where we expected her to. and the there were, I think, three riders in front of her that she hadn't raced against mm. that year, who so Richard does the same thing. She had been racing domestically. No one had seen her. You know, so Ellen had that secret knowledge, I guess you could say, of the the homegrown riders, and certainly it was an impressive ride. Um, but no one had no one had really raced against her.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what makes, I'm so happy there's an under 23 race. I mean, one thing yeah. it was very exciting, but the other thing is like Evie Richards said that had there not been an under 23 category, she wouldn't have been picked for the team because, you know, she's only been racing domestically. She's 18 years old. You know, she's a first, you know, she's, she's never ridden, she's never ridden abroad. Right. It must be wonderful. And especially for riders like Ellen Noble, to have that chance to, you know, to go for the win when so often they're basically lucky to be top 10.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, this is what we have to think about when, you know, when we're expanding the sport for women and you want things to be parallel, you want things to be consistent with the men. Mm. And, you know, there's lots of arguments for why that hasn't been the case up to this point. But it really is a chicken and egg thing. You know, do you, do you make a category for riders that don't exist yet? um well you've got to do something to create those riders so that the category will exist but at the same time if you create the category the riders will show up so it's like mm-hmm. yeah People get caught up on like what step you should take first or what step is more important and I just think you have to do all of it at once.
0: Yes, yes, yes. I am so tired of people kind of talking as if you have to progress by doing one thing and get one thing sorted out and then another thing and then get another thing sorted out. Do you know what I mean?
1: Right. Yeah, absolutely. Like as a coach, we <clears throat> we want to develop certain riders and you know we have <clears throat> We have wealthy masters that pay full price for our coaching, and then we have less wealthy juniors that we coach for free or give discounts to, to work with, you know, on, on a development sense. So, you know, that's a place where we touch the circle, and so that's where we make a contribution. But then I'm also a race organizer. Mm. So so what part of that problem do I touch as a race organizer? Mm. Well, you know, over the years, I've modified the categories at our races to, separate out the cat four women from the cat three women because the cat as a combined category the field was actually starting to get full and i thought well do we have enough cat threes to give them their own race but it turns out that when you split them and each give each of them their own race more of them come.
0: <laughs> yes yes because and i can see why because i'd be you know if i was starting cyclocross, <laughs> Well, I don't know that I would because you know I just assume I'd get lapped and knock you know, knock a pro off their bike and completely destroy their career and blah blah blah. You know.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, and so if you had a category you could start in where you could work up from the bottom, right? That's
0: yeah, exactly yeah exactly and also kind of not not focus on i think sometimes in britain for example people focus on getting through the categories as fast as possible rather than focusing on getting the skills for the categories as as, you know what i mean to kind of to kind of work on you know am i am i a liability i would be a liability you know and you see some riders who are a liability you know like like uh you know yeah there's a reason that she wins races and that's because people are a bit too scared to get on her wheel because she's going to crash and kill them
1: yeah, it's um it's important we sometimes hold our athletes back a little bit in their progression because we also want athletes to learn how to win mm. and how to race at the front. So we mm. might have an athlete who's strong enough to move up to the next category and and or maybe even like is getting results because they're so strong, and they're just riding away from fields and they're not learning how to race.
2: Yeah.
1: Um so teaching riders when you're finally strong enough to race at the front of a category, it's a good opportunity to actually learn how to race at the front of a race. And until you can do that, we'll, we'll often hold the rider back from from moving up. And then when you do that, I think what you see is a rider can go from racing, especially on the road. I think you see this more on the road. But you go from winning races in the Cat 4s or the Cat 3s and you move up a category and you're still winning. You know, or you're, you're still getting top results because... The fitness is there, and you've learned how to play the game of bike racing. And that's something you learn in the lower categories by holding back a little
2: bit.
0: Yeah, yeah. That ties into something I wanted to ask you about. I, I feel like it's specific to the USA scene because, you know, you're so far away from Europe, and you have such a thriving, exciting scene. But, you know, when riders come across to Europe, they go from, you know, beating everyone to starting at the bottom. And on the one hand, that must be hard. But on the other hand, at least they are having the chance to win. Do you know what I mean? Whereas, I yeah. think, whereas if you spend the, if you're an American or a Brit spending the whole season in Europe, at just chasing fifteenth, for example, that must you know how do you learn to win?
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. God, there's it's actually so much to talk about in that short sentence. So one one thing I'd say is when we talk about American cross, we have to remember like how big the country is mm. and. It's like talking about European cross. Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm.
1: You know, Belgian cross and Czech cross are not the same. Yeah. And Americans, I think, make the mistake of thinking that Belgian cross is European cross. Yeah. Like, that's what cross is like in Europe. And it's not. They have to remember that they're they're watching the NBA. They're watching Major League Baseball. They're watching the NHL when mm-hmm. they're watching Belgian cyclocross. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but there are professional basketball leagues in Italy And Spain um, and Germany that are not the NBA um, but are still professional and and still have talented athletes but they're a level below Mm. and so that's what you have to think about when you think about the US cross scene but also it racing here is so different than racing in Europe because we have to get on planes to to do our quote-unquote national circuit
2: yeah
1: Um, being a professional bike racer this is true on the road obviously as well too um, so much of a team's budget goes towards travel as opposed to salaries um, or equipment or whatever else you want to spend your money on. It costs so much money to move a team around the country. Um, and that's why, like with my series, you know, it's a UCI series with eight races, but it's only in New England, um, mm-hmm. which is still an area much, much bigger than. West Flanders, you know? We're not even talking about Belgian cyclocross, we're talking about Flemish, (laughs) West Flemish cyclocross. It's it's like if all the races were within an hour of Boston. It's like a city-based scene, and it's just hard for Americans to get their head around, but also I think maybe it's sometimes hard for the Europeans to understand how much travel is involved.
2: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: So then when you get, I think to illustrate your point, it's good to look at um, Jeremy Powers and and Stephen Hyde, we're both, you know, friends of our business. I coached Jeremy for years when he was a junior, and um, he's in our, you know, obviously with Jam Fund, and very closely associated with with Cycle Smart and me personally. And, and Al Donahue was part of Jam Fund. There's just tons of overlap there. Um, Stephen Hyde is directly coached by us. Al also coaches Hyde. Um, he was my teammate on the road at Estella's. He's one of my best friends. So I'm talking about my buddies here as mm-hmm. much as I'm mm-hmm. analyzing, you know, <laughs> pro athletes, but. Hyde, his background is essentially like in punk rock. It's, he was, a he was, you know, riding his BMX bike all over the place. He was, he was riding trains. He was borderline homeless, but in this intentional, you know, gutter punk kind of way Mm -hmm. that make, that makes him very versatile. Um, he's very comfortable in uncomfortable situations. He really can take care of himself, um, and, and I think that's why you're seeing him have this sort of immediate success in, in Belgium right now. Uh, in addition to the help he's getting from people like Jeremy and, and, and Al and, and what we've all learned from racing there before him. Um, I think what you're seeing with Jeremy is Jeremy, Jeremy did his time in Belgium. You know, people don't remember that he was there as an under 23 living at Noel de Jonkier's house, mm. getting his head kicked in every weekend there alone you know he basically did it alone and and when the rest of the national team went home you know Jeremy was alone as an under 23 over Mm. there without a lot of support that was a long time ago and people I I think a lot of people don't know that he did that Um, but what happens to those guys now is Jeremy's clearly the best guy in America and with with Tim not there and Ryan not at his best and Summerhill not doing a full cross season there's really no one there to push Jeremy except Stephen and um, uh, Logan Owen are finally putting a little pressure on Jeremy. Whereas previously, I think Jeremy wasn't always the best guy, had other people pushing him. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So when he's racing in America, you could argue that he's getting dull because he's racing only at his own limit. Yeah. And so he doesn't make mistakes and he's in control of the race and he knows when he needs to step on the gas. Hyde is only just reaching the top of the sport. He's used to being under pressure and racing um, you know, with his thumb under his chin the entire time. Mm-hmm. So when those two guys go over to the European races now, I think Jeremy's actually at a disadvantage because now Jeremy has to race in a completely different style.
2: Mm-hmm. He is
1: under pressure from start to finish in the way that those of us that are not making the front group, we know that feeling well. We don't ever get to make the group and sit up. We are always chasing. We are always riding as hard as we possibly can. We're always making mistakes because we're trying to go a little bit too fast to stay with a rider who's better than us. Mm -hmm. So that's how Jeremy has to race when he's in Europe. And I think it's tough for him to make that adjustment. I think Hyde is having an easier time making that adjustment because he's been racing that way already. Yeah, And I think Hyde's just a more, let's I don't want to sound critical of Jeremy because it's not it's it's more just an observation of Hyde's personality he's very adaptable and he's very flexible and he's gonna have success in Europe because of that
0: yeah 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 I mean I I wonder about sometimes about the USA fans expectations as well because you know I really like watching Caitlin Antoneau develop but there are some people who are talking about Caitlin as a podium potential at Worlds, which, you know, in the in the run up to the race, which I didn't think was madly help well, I don't know, I'm British, so of course, you know, we have a different culture of of you know of, of how talk- yeah, 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 exactly. But I didn't know how I don't know how helpful that must be to kind of be saying oh yeah you know she's definitely going to get a po- get a podium and then being disappointed that she doesn't you know as opposed to saying oh you know top 10 you know like we would in britain oh you know i'm, I'm, I'm hoping for top 10 and then you get fifth or whatever do you know what i mean yeah she's she's a very well adjusted
1: person um i think she's very well grounded and has a good support network mm-hmm. so i think she's also very self-motivated wants to win i think she's Got, you know, great friends and teammates from the road season, too. So racing at the top level is not new for her, um, you know, road or cross. Uh, she seems to be very happy with her progress, and I think top 10 for her was um, as far as she was willing to stick her neck out for. Yeah. And and then, and then she achieved that. So I think for her, that was a big success. Um, I didn't see it as, like, extra pressure, honestly. And if you heard how she talked about how she approached nationals, I think national championship, she said, was the first time she said to herself, I can be everyone here. It's possible for me to win. But then she wasn't disappointed that she didn't. She was pleased to be on the podium um, with the two riders that she was with. And you can see that she's next, right? I think
2: yeah, 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 li- yeah,
1: little Katie, Ellen, we'll see what Emma does, you know, if Emma has to choose at some point. Yeah. Um, you know, but we've got we've got some great riders coming up.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, what would you? What advice would you do you give to young? I mean, do you give to young riders about? Would you say stay and race in the states and fly over Katie Compton style? I mean, obviously that takes money. Or would you say base yourself out in Europe? Or I mean, because there's pros and cons on both sides, aren't there? Yeah, and, and some of the ways it's similar for the
1: men and the women. Some of the ways it's different. So for a long time, the racing for the women was better in the U.S. than it was in Europe because mm. we were just so far ahead of Europe in terms of having women's races in the first place and then having equal prize money yeah. for women yeah. that, you know, the, the the talent was better here. And I mean, there were hardly any female Belgian cyclocross riders yeah. as recently as five years ago. Like it yeah. didn't exist.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, look, look at how Britain does. Do you know what I mean? We don't have a cyclocross yeah. culture, but we've got two of the top elite women and the under 23 champion.
1: Yeah. And I like, I love, you know, how Helen does it. Helen got a taste of U.S. Cross and realized what it had to offer, and and does this great program now where, mm-hmm. you know, we consider her part of our Cross family here now, and she's got friends here and sponsors here, and, um, you know, and I like, I consider the, the two of them, um, Steph and Helen, like, good friends of mine, mm-hmm. and that's from coming over and living in our community and, and, and uh, you know, being cheered for here and getting support and providing support, so, um, you know, but coming to the U.S. is is not easy. I've often suggested that New England is um, an in-between point before you go off to Europe if you're yeah. on the way up. And it just depends on the scene that you come from. So if you want to use Ellen as an example, Ellen's a New Englander. She came up through the Verge series. Um, she had a high level of competition right here. She didn't have to get on a plane to do it. If you live in the, let's say in, I don't know. Arizona. On the, <laughs> yeah exactly right you have to leave home no matter what you do yeah um and so then the question is well if i have to leave home what do i do do i go straight in to belgium and just i have to leave home anyway i think when you see riders do that they, they're not ready mm. um it's like it, you could go to belgium and race b races and i don't think enough riders do that they they go right to the elite races and they only race for a half an hour mm-hmm. that's Male or female, I think, if you're not finishing on the lead lap, then you probably aren't in the right race. Mm. Um, and that's why I think a, a regional UCI series, like, like the Verge series has always been, is a good in-between point where you can continue to get stronger, do the training, remove the travel. Removing the travel is the key, um, yeah. and, and just base yourself there for, for the season. Um, and develop your skills until you're ready to go to the next step, which is, which is Belgium.
2: Yeah. 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 I went to
1: Switzerland when I went to Europe to race cross the first time. Um, my first winter there was six weeks in Switzerland, uh, back when in the nineties when Switzerland was still as big as Belgium, you know, Belgium certainly surpassed Switzerland since then, but I caught the end of the, the era when the, when Swiss cross was the biggest scene. Mm. But that was because there was no circuit here to do. You know, there was no national circuit then. I went from New England racing to European racing, and yeah. I got killed.
0: Yeah, but I mean, I this is going to sound like I'm like I'm you know blowing smoke up your ass, but I love I love that you've changed that. I mean, you're you're very key in having changed that for the next generation of young riders. You know, like you said, you know the the reason the New England circuit's up there is because of you. That's well, part you know you and other people, yeah. but. And that that's just wonderful. You know, you are be the change you want to see. I love that.
1: Well, thank you. I I appreciate <laughs> that. Um yeah, there have been a lot of other people involved too, but um I just can't help myself, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Um I don't think it's always been good for me that I've done these things, if you know what I mean. It's 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 certainly kept me from being the best bike racer I could be, and it's probably kept me from being as financially secure. Mm as I could be, it's probably cost me some relationships along the way. Um, you know, romantic relationships, but, um, I just like fixing things. I like having projects. I like making things better. It's the place where I really express myself, um, in this like creative way. I could be writing, I could be making art. And instead I, I just, I, I like these sort of business projects, like organizing a bike race. Um, and, I guess that's what got my attention. You know, like I came home from Switzerland and said, oh, we could do this in New England. You know, I, I see what that looks like. Why can't we, can, we have the same land area and population base and we could raise the level of our races. And yeah, it's, it's a compulsion as much as it is anything else. You know, I, I really just feel like I can't help myself.
0: Ah, well, I mean, I love it, and, I, and I, again, I have to stop myself thinking that I know American cyclocross because I think you know you've got a big social media presence. You've used social media so well, and I know about you know. And obviously, Helen, I'm a I'm a you know big fan of the Wymans. Um, you know, I've I've been you know Helen was the first rider who ever spoke to me, and you know they come across and they're so they're so excited about what they see. So you know, again, so I think of American cyclocross, but really I'm thinking of you know New England cyclocross. <laughs> yeah, in a big, yeah, in a large way, you are. Or let's say, let's say
1: East Coast cyclocross, because Helen's mm. uh, Ellen's Reach um, really does extend all the way down the East Coast, and and the New England scene has always cooperated with the Mid Atlantic scene mm. for scheduling and developing and sharing resources and information. We've always wanted to see those guys, you know, have successful races too, and so. Helen has her connection to the Baltimore crew and Chris Auer, and they've obviously done really well for her as much as, the, um, as uh, Jerry has up here in New England, in Vermont, and looked after her here. So she's got sort of two bases here, um, you know, Mid-Atlantic and New England. So yeah, we, we used to always refer to that as East Coast Cross, you mm-hmm. know, and sort of that, the scene goes basically from Maine to DC is, is sort of the span of that mm-hmm. scene. Mm, mm. and it's very different than the rest of the country it's true um it's not the same in colorado it's not the same in in oregon or or washington state um it's not the same in san francisco uh very unique scenes everywhere you go
0: yeah i mean from my admittedly very small lens not knowing anything about it it seems like it's much less drama filled than colorado <laughs> colorado cycling seems to fall out with itself every 20 minutes
1: <laughs> <sighs> that's funny um i i I don't know what to say about that or if I've observed that same thing. Um, I think sometimes people think of USA Cycling because they're based in Colorado. You can sort of, um, I don't know, attribute a lot of what happens to quote unquote Colorado. You know, like it's like Colorado's a stand in for people's complaining about USA Cycling. But no, Colorado has a great scene. I think one of the challenges that they have is they have a lot of great athletes. It's a great place to live and train. Um, but Anytime you get west of the Mississippi River, the population goes down dramatically, and it's cities very far apart from each other, very Mm -hmm. densely, highly populated cities, and then big spaces in between. If you're east of the Mississippi, especially if you're on the East Coast, it's more like Europe. It's a lot of density. The cities bump up against each other. And so it's just easier for us to have more events and more money and more sponsorship um, Mm -hmm. because we have more people. We live in a megalopolis, but we still have enough rural areas and parks and places to put races on. If you go to Colorado, I think this is what you see in the Northwest especially, but if you're in the Rockies or in the Northwest, there's city-based scenes instead of Mm region-based scenes. So there's a Boulder scene, and there's a Portland scene, and there's a Seattle scene, and there's a San Francisco scene. But we have a New England scene. It's not a Boston scene um and that's why we have so many more uci races and so many more riders and so that's not a it's not like we're doing something better than they are it's Hmm. it's just the nature of the population distribution of the country it's east of the mississippi does one thing and rocky mountains or west of the mississippi to the coast does something different
0: yeah yeah and i guess also success breeds success i mean i absolutely adored it when the Koppenberg cross was offered equal prize money for women in the European race for the first time because an American bike shop sponsored it. I know.
1: Well, it was a little bit of an fu in a way exactly. to those guys, right? It was a little bit of a challenge. So you know, good. Like, yeah. I've said this before that like, so when I was on the UCI cross commission, it was very hard to get anything done Four years on the commission. You know, Helen's on the commission. Now I was on the commission previously. Um, change happens slow in Europe in general but it happens even more slowly I think in a, a bureaucracy like the UCI and if you're on a committee within the UCI you really see like how hard it is to, to get anything done Peter vandenabella really does care about women's racing and is always trying to push things forward he just you know he bumps up against limiters from organizers and people above him in the organization but he has always been on the side of of women and and as part of the cross um, reform that started with my term on the commission, improving things for women has always been part of that. So one of the main things that i got done when I was in the commission was making it mandatory that if a European race had a C1 for men, they had to at least hold a race. For women. They yeah. had to have at least a C2. Because lots of those races didn't even have women's races. Yeah, There weren't women's races in Belgium. And that's why racing, going back to our earlier point, was better in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So I'd go race in Holland, or I, you know, like I lived in Amsterdam for a while, and I could see how different the scene was in the Netherlands compared to what it was in Belgium, mm-hmm. because yeah. the cultures are so different. And so the women's racing was different. But even in the Czech Republic, coming from a... a The Soviet influence. There was great women's racing down there because women had essentially, you could say, more equality in those former Soviet places because that's part of the mentality Mm -hmm. of that of that old Soviet Mm -hmm. mindset, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: um, which isn't something that you would expect as an American. I wouldn't have expected that, but then I observed it. I was like, oh, okay, I, I guess that makes sense. So getting that rule passed was the first big step towards creating professional women's cyclocross in Europe in the way that we had already done it in the US and we were taking it for granted. So that was step one. And then eventually not just being a C1, but if you had a race for men, you had to have a race for women. You couldn't not have a women's race. Yeah. And then the prize money starting to become equal and now it's finally equal. And then like. Making changing the rules so that the women's time slot has to be right before the men's. Because even though they were having races for women, they were putting them first.
0: Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And they weren't
1: putting them on TV. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And the and the, the buses, you know, you didn't have to park. Helen told me about how parking, what a difference right. that makes to the media coverage. You know, if you're yeah. the women and you're parked half a mile down the road, no journalist is ever going to talk to you. Whereas right. if you're right in front of them, everyone's going to want to talk to you because, you know, yep. you're a journalist.
1: Yep, 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 exactly. So
0: that's why I think
1: you're seeing... European women's cyclocross actually finally be as good as US mm. women's cyclocross. Um, is because of those rule changes have forced them to put women's events on. And now people are seeing them are going, Oh, this is good racing. You know, like yeah. early on when when I when they first started having women's races the, the barriers were optional for women, and that was in the rules. You oh could di- you could divert the course for women and juniors so that they didn't have to go over the planks huh. because they couldn't believe that women could. It's like the Nordic. It's like the ski jumping. Like we can't have ski jumping in the Olympics for women because your your uterus will fall yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Or people who like, think that Paris Roubaix, you know, women can't ride the cobbles because their uterus oh will fall out. It's just
1: <laughs> it's amazing. So it just takes so long to get past those misconceptions um and you know prejudices honestly um yeah,
0: yeah yeah i mean i think i think personally that the best thing about this season has been the super prestige going away from sports sir, because suddenly sports has got a gap in their market so they started showing women's racing saw that people were watching it and took a business decision wow look these are the figures let's show more women's cyclocross and off the back ah, of I didn't, that we're getting I didn't more road. It had
1: gone that way yeah, yeah i didn't know that there was a cause and effect there yeah that's, that's I, really interesting well, Oh, I mean, that's that, great
0: i haven't had that <laughs> i haven't had that confirmed but i haven't had that denied do you know what i mean when i'm talking yeah, to people yeah, about yeah, it and sure. when you look at the when you look at the um the you know that they, they for example um they were only going to show the bay post bank phase but they then because the stats were so good they've showed they started showing right we can show the sudal classics we'll show okay. overizer you know those standalone races
2: yeah because they and, right.
0: and what i've loved has been um oh wheeler man renat renat yeah. Schott, um showing you know publicly showing the viewing figures and even more importantly the audience share of those figures because you know yeah. when you're looking at 60% of the audience share were watching um the worlds or you know even like 35 even like 40% I think for the earlier races that's bloody good you know that's yeah. better yeah, than yeah, anything yeah, else yeah. at that time
1: and that's isn't that the argument that we've always been making like if, if, for those of us who care about women's racing and and have wanted to see it grow like We've always said, like put it in front of people, give them the opportunity. Yeah. the racing is good, they will watch it um, yeah. again, this chicken and the egg thing, and so here's an example of, hey well, the the naysayers have often said, well, if it we're only going to do it if it makes economic sense, and now you have that ammo, you can say, well, here you go, it yeah, doesn't yeah, make yeah. economic sense
0: and actually a lot of those naysayers haven't got haven't like I mean I remember the the Olympic road race in Britain had something like three times the peak viewing figure of um of the men's because you know the women's racing you know you turn it on casually and it's all attack 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 and you know there's a Brit in front you know this is on the bbc you know yeah. whereas the men it's like it men's road cycling can be very very dull if you C- watch very start to finish
1: yeah. yeah you're riding for a sprinter like yeah. they were. It's a very controlled race.
0: Yeah, and if you've and if you've messed it up, you've got three hours of watching. You know, Mark Cavendish at the back of the chasing group. mean? <laughs> yeah. as they
1: try to fix it.
0: Yeah, and fail. Um, <laughs> 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 yeah, it's 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 a very. I mean, you must have seen so much change in your time, and and obviously your life's changing. You know, you've 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 retired as a pro rider. And you're I'm
1: changing a-, a diaper literally right now. <laughs> I, I have. As we're talking, I just put Flynn down on the table, <laughs> and I'm changing a diaper.
0: See, I I was interested in this. I think I said this to you before that I've been interested in my reaction to you as a dad on on Twitter because you know sometimes there's a sometimes there's a compulsion for people to kind of go, oh wow, what a great dad you are! You're changing a diaper. <laughs>
1: yeah, I know you get extra credit. I mean, I've talked about that a lot um, <clears throat> with my wife, like right at the beginning, because I felt a little bad, like you know, I, I'm putting pictures up you know, on social media of, you know, my life. And I, I, you know, I like my baby. I want to take pictures of the baby. And, and people were really reacting like, oh, you're such a good dad. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like my wife had three months off. And part of that was her letting me finish the cross season. Mm -hmm. Um, I was still working and going out training every day. I, if I changed a diaper a day for those first three months, I would be surprised. But when I would get to spend time with the baby, I was maybe taking some pictures and people like, oh, you're such a great dad. And I'm like, because of an Instagram picture. (laughs) Um, But now, but now it's different. You know, that three month is over. Three month period is over the road season and cross season's over. My wife has gone back to work and I am a stay at home dad and it's a 10 hour shift. Um, My life has changed, you know, so dramatically, not only because normally I'd be in Arizona right now riding 30 hours a week and instead I'm taking care of a baby 10 hours a day while I'm trying to run my business. And if I'm lucky, I get on the trainer at night for an hour, just like every other working class, um, bike racer with a job does. Uh, and so I find that as a dad, who is the primary caretaker, two things happen. Um, I get extra credit for things that maybe a woman would be criticized for. If my wife had chosen to stay home, Maybe, in you know feminist Boston, where people are very career oriented, people would um, be critical of her, maybe for not pursuing her career um, and choosing to be a stay at home mom as like a you know, she went should she go to college to stay home and take care of a baby? And that wouldn't be fair, right? that's that's not fair. Mm. it's um it's a noble thing to stay home with your kid, I think and Sometimes if you're someone who got a college education and stayed home with a baby, that makes you even more qualified yeah. to And,
0: and this is something, teach that kid. And this is something that from a country with like, you know, up to a year's maternity leave, <laughs> you know, oh, yeah, know, we have yeah. a cultural, we have a very big cultural difference. I think, you know, different, diff- yeah. difference. I think, you know, six months is six months is standard. It's, it's a really interesting thing in this. It's so different in the States, isn't it?
1: Yeah. And three months, she got three months is exceptional. And she got three months because she works for a university. Yeah. Um, you know, she has very good, uh, benefits because she, she works at a university. Yeah. For and you university. have to pay
0: off, you have to pay off your own, um, gynecological fees, don't you? You have to pay for the birth of your baby.
1: Well, we do. We're lucky, um, that we have good insurance through her employer, uh, but it's it's not free. No, yeah. no. Someone had to pay for it.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. It's the it's,
1: government. The government didn't pay for it.
0: Yeah, it's just. I mean, you know, obviously we pay for it through taxes, but it's a kind yeah. of strange. It's a really. I always have to remind myself when I'm looking at the states, you know, that that it's it's through a lens that again, it's like you know, like the cyclocross through a lens that a lot of us can't imagine.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and honestly, I, I can hardly imagine it either. I <laughs> I, <laughs> I did not have. Um, I have three younger sisters, single mom, you know, it was a miracle that I got out of where I was from and off to college and bike racing took me around the world. And, um, it took me a long time to establish myself, you know, financially and, um, to really sort of make something from, from out of where I came from. So I absolutely had no desire to have a kid and give up that independence and freedom that I worked so hard for after, you know, feeling very tied down by my family when I was mm-hmm. younger, um, but uh, I was very lucky to get a second chance at being a pro bike racer in my 30s, and I really made the most of that. I feel like um, to get 13 years as a pro out of a career that I had essentially given up on, um, you know, at 26, um, and to have that career, you know, in my 30s and early 40s was uh, you know, something I'm very grateful for. And so, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be 44 this year. It's, I'm, I'm comfortable being done. And I'm, I finally felt like I was ready to be a dad. Um, and I really wanted to support my wife as she, the way that she supported me while I was trying to finish my racing career and get that chip off my shoulder, um, slay some dragons. She was very supportive of me while I did that. Um, and so I, I love being a stay-at-home dad. I love taking care of this baby. I think he's amazing. Um, he makes me laugh all day long. Um it's not easy obviously. Um but I don't know if I deserve any extra credit mm. just because I'm a uh I'm a stay-at-home dad because I'm a male who made that choice. I think it seems really I'm keenly aware of the fact that I'm getting praised for something that a woman might get criticized for. Mm. And then on the other hand I think people say things to her like, "Oh, daddy's home with the Baby, like, how do you feel about that? Like, as if somehow I'm not capable of taking care of a baby?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, 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 there's something. I mean, I obviously, <laughs> breastfeeding, but beyond breastfeeding, I don't think you need a special uh, chromosome to change a diaper <laughs> or, no. you know, or, or spoon yeah. food into your baby's mouth when they're weaning.
1: Yeah, and uh, you know, I think it depends on how you're socialized. Like, like I said, like, I have three little sisters and a single mom. It was me and a house full of, of girls. So, um, you know, like, I just. Uh, I didn't get stuck in these really narrow gender stereotypes about what boys do and what girls do.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, and so I think that served me well
2: yeah. in
1: my adult life and my professional life. And I hope it's going to serve me well as a, as a parent.
0: Yeah. Oh, lucky for us. I mean, lucky for the U S racing yeah. scene. Well, I, you know, caveat East coast racing scene. That's, that's, you know, it's awesome. And, and you're writing a book, you said you're.
1: Yeah. I, I, I signed this contract a while ago, um, with Babcock publishers, it's been quite a couple of years that I, that I made this agreement with them. And, you know, I wanted to, I wasn't sure when my career was going to end and I figured mm. I'd start writing as soon as my career ended. I wasn't expecting to have a baby.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I
1: thought I was going to have a year of like not traveling and just Janice and I being, a childless, a childless couple and enjoying that and, and having like weekends and having mm-hmm. brunch and um instead we opened up the window to to having a baby and got pregnant immediately much (laughs) to our surprise like very first try and so the baby came a little sooner than we expected he wasn't unplanned but he was definitely early yeah yeah so uh but I did start writing finally um and kind of mapped out some chapters and it's just some storytelling basically uh the working title of the book is "12K Dreamer," and it's just a bunch of anecdotes about where I where I started from, um, you know, my a little bit of my origin story, I guess, uh, and and things I experienced along the way towards finally getting that first thousand dollar a month pro contract that was like, you know, the symbol of of when you had made it. You know, it's kind of funny to think about now, but. You know, all we ever thought when we were amateurs sleeping in the car going to races, the thing we would always say is, if I could just get paid 1000 bucks a month, you know, I could quit my job, I could race full time, I could really show everybody how good I am. That would be enough money for me to achieve my potential, $1,000 a month. And we use it as a derogatory term in the 90s. Um, for people who really weren't that good, oh, you're just a 12k dreamer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're not actually as, you all think that if you got that salary, you'd you'd be that good. Well, but then it turned out that I was one of those 12 K dreamers. And um, I did eventually get that contract for a thousand bucks a month. And it is, it is when things turned around for me. Um, It it did allow me to finally achieve most of my potential. So it's, you know, the nineties were a crazy period in American bike racing. And there was a lot of sleeping on couches and cars. And it's very similar lifestyle to being in a, a punk band on the Mm. road. And so I'm just going to tell a few of those stories.
0: Oh God, I can't wait to read. It. I mean, obviously, you know, it's, uh, you know, this is, this is, you know, Mifflin might be able to read it himself by the time he finishes. I know
1: it's true. <laughs> I hope that I can, uh, if I can get a, a couple of chapters done a month, I think it's something that could maybe actually come out in the fall. If I can work on it and that would be a good goal.
0: <gasps> oh, I would totally read it. I would totally read that book. I can't wait.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
0: Well, Thank you so much for your time. I mean, if people want to find you, well, if people want to be coached by you, where do they find CycleSmart?
1: Um, CycleSmart.com with a hyphen, cycle-smart.com um, is the website and everything you need to know is is there. Um, I'm easy to find on social media. Um, Adam Meyerson uh, everywhere <laughs> is uh, is my username everywhere. So and and Cycle Smarts obviously on social media as well.
0: Excellent. And which is the ra- which are the races you organize if people want to follow those?
1: Mm-hmm. So the, the race that I um, individually organize is the Northampton International, the Cycle Smart Northampton International, mm. um, second weekend of November. Every year, it's the oldest UCI race in the country. This will uh, be our twenty sixth oh, year. We've been UCI since two thousand. So
2: good. Yeah. I was
1: 19 when we put it on the first time I was in college and <laughs> it was a bit of a, a lark and it's just, I don't know, somehow it, it stayed alive all these years. So, wow. um, so that's the race. And then I also, um, organized the New England cyclocross series, which is Gloucester, uh, Northampton. We added a new race in New York, uh, super car, uh, supercross, and, um, warwick rhode island and this year that's always been the verge series past 10 years it's been the verge series um we have a new title sponsor this year in Victoria, and so it'll be the Victoria northeast cyclocross series so eight uci races
0: in new england and new york wow and is there anything else you need to plug <laughs>
1: no i you know we're just talking i don't think there's anything i need to plug that that, i mean that covers everything
0: excellent and i'll put links to all of this on my site prowomenscycling.com so if you didn't catch any of that just click through and you'll you'll have the links to everything adam all things adam (laughs) thank you well thank you so much for your time and um massive good luck i i i just i can't even imagine what you're going to do next i think it's going to be of course it's going to be wonderful
1: uh, I appreciate the attention and uh, and the enthusiasm so thank you. <laughs>